when, when we were working on this project together, every day he would come in and be like, hey, hey, you read, uh, he's like, you read Battle Cry Freedom Man? I'm like, uh, no, I haven't served. Oh, it's great. Here's why it's great. And then I would like rush home and I would order Battle Cry Freedom because I was like, <laughs> he got really excited about it and talked about it. Like he didn't tell me to go buy these books. He was just really excited about a book. So he would come in and he would do that like a couple times a week. And he was always grabbing like three to five books out of the library too on post. And so uh, during that time period, like my cart on Amazon would fill up and it was, it was kind of ridiculous, but he gave me an education in warfare that I don't think I would have gotten, you know, anywhere else. Just by coming in every day. Hey, you read, uh, <laughs> have you read Clausewitz's on war? Uh, yeah, I saw, I read some of it, sir. But did you read the Peter Perret edition? Uh, and, was, and then he would explain why. That's, uh, that's the Michael Howard translation, why that's so important. So he like sparked this like passion for reading professionally in me. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. No matter how you are coming to this show, I hope you leave inspired and with some practical tools to help you lead yourself more effectively and to help you have a higher impact as a leader. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go make it count. All right. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 90 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I don't know where I'm finding you. Maybe you're going for a run or a walk or staying out of the heat somewhere, doing your dishes, doing some yard work, wherever that is. I sincerely appreciate you being here. And thank you all for the wonderful feedback and support from the last episode, episode 89, where I reflected on the last three years of podcasting. That was a lot of fun, and I just appreciate all the encouragement. It was fun to get behind the mic and be interviewed, and I appreciate that you guys uh, seem to enjoy that. So let me know if you want more of that. I really enjoyed getting a chance to reflect. I appreciate Wes Cochran doing that. And I'm excited about today. I have an interview with Joe Byerly, the founder of From the Green Notebook and the author of My Green Notebook, Know Thyself Before Changing Jobs. And if you're in the military, then you've probably heard of From the Green Notebook. And if you're not in the military, well, let me tell you all about it today. It's going to be fun to dive into that. From the Green Notebook has become, I think, the go-to resource and platform for military leaders to share their lessons learned and to grow in community. And Joe also has a killer podcast. It's called From the Green Notebook, where he interviews leaders from all sectors of society, from the military, business, sports, entertainment. And Joe does a really good job with that podcast. So go check that out. Today, we dig into his origin story of From the Green Notebook. We talk about how military leaders have reacted to Joe's work and some of them not so supportive. Unfortunately, we also talk about his why for doing what he does. We talk about some specific practices that Joe uses for reading and reflecting and journaling and capturing lessons learned. I think you're going to really enjoy those specific tools that Joe talks about. And stick around to the end where we talk about where Joe shares his top takeaways from working with some incredible leaders, General H.R. McMaster, General Scott Miller, and General Chris Donahue, some of the top military leaders of this generation. And before we jump in, I want to give you something. 
we've taken a lot of time to comb through many of the best interviews that we've done over the past several years. And we distilled that into 12 key takeaways, 12 key ideas in a 12 page PDF that you can go and download right now at intentionalleader.org. It's really, I think a great resource. We interviewed people like Juliet Font, General Stan McChrystal, uh, General Pat Work, Carrie Newhoff, many wonderful leaders. And we took those episodes, instead of you having to go listen to them for an hour plus, we took some of the key takeaways, put them in that document. So just go to intentionalleader.org and download these these 12 key ideas that we think will help you just improve your leadership in 2022. And also, I want to invite you to join me for an exciting in-person event in the D.C. area on Saturday July 23rd, Intentional Leader is going to be partnering with Military Mentors, which is an incredible nonprofit. It's led by Dr. Chevy Cook, who you may remember from episode 36, and it's called the M Moment 2. And again, it's on Saturday, July 23rd. It's going to be from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the ALX Community Waterfront in Alexandria, Virginia. It's going to be an intentional, purposeful investment in you an intense and immersive one-day experience for about 50 individuals, military, civilian. And it's not just a conference. It's not just a set of TED Talks. It's really meant to be a reflective and interactive experience to inspire transformative leadership. One of our team members, Wes Cochran, who you know from the last episode, he attended the first M moment back in, I believe it was January or February, and it was wonderful. He said it was a very unique event. So come join us in person. I'm going to be leading a breakout session titled Self-Leadership in a Busy, Distracted World. And I'll put links to sign up for the M moment too in the show notes of this episode. So go check that out. And thanks again for all of you who have taken just a few minutes to rate or review this podcast, especially those who've rated us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That goes a long way to helping us bring new leaders into this growing community. And finally, the last thing before we dive into my interview with Joe, there are a few acronyms and phrases that we use during this interview that might be confusing if you're not in the military. So I wanna just take a moment to explain those. My wife really helps me try to limit the military terminology and acronyms that are really tempting to use when you're in the military. So first we use this term PCS as an acronym. It just means permanent change of station. And in the military, we often use acronyms as verbs. So you hear us say that we're PCSing, which just means we're moving from uh, one station to the next. I'm in the middle of a move right now. I am PCSing. We also talk about the 82nd. You might hear the 82nd used. That's the 82nd Airborne Division. It's based out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. It is a incredible unit. I'm a part of it. I'm, I'm leaving the 82nd right now. It has a tremendous history back in World War II, and I encourage you to go check that out. Some really cool history. And finally, we mentioned BCAP. That's B-C-A-P. And this is the Battalion Command Assessment Program, where lieutenant colonels can now go compete for the opportunity to lead a battalion in the Army. And that's that's a element that has about 700 to 1,000 soldiers. And that's what Joe now has the opportunity to do. He's going to go uh, be a battalion commander at a unit which has become increasingly competitive. And of course, no surprise that Joe's going to be able to do that. But that's what we talk about on this episode. So friends, thanks so much for joining me on this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it inspires you and I hope it leaves you with some practical tools for your leadership. So without any further ado, please enjoy my interview with Joe Byerly. All right. 
Got Joe Byerly on the show. Joe, thanks so much for being on today, man. I'm so pumped to have you on the show. Cal, thanks for having me on a real podcast. This is uh, this is awesome. <laughs> I know we've talked offline many times, and all of our conversations. I wish I could record. So I was excited that you were willing to to come on and let me hit record. And honestly, we haven't. I've never been able to kind of dig into your story. So I'd like to start there. You started from the Green Notebook back in uh, I think 2013. Tell us why you wanted to start it and kind of how that got started back in 2013. Yeah, it was like around that time period, I was involved with, uh, there was a website called company command, um, dot, dot mill. And it's, it's gone through a couple iterations, uh, since then it's evolved. Um, but the way it worked was that you moderated, uh, each, each officer volunteer for that website. It was run out of, uh, um, the center for, uh, army leadership and organizational development at, uh, at, at, um, West Point, and uh, it was run by Colonel Tony Burgess, and we would have volunteer moderators, and each of the moderators would run a different portion. So I would run the leadership part of the website, and it, you know the website at the time, company commanders would post problems they were having, dilemmas they were having, and then everybody would kind of jump on, and I, I really enjoyed that. So I I started getting this feel that like there was something to this online learning community that like we really haven't tapped into, <clears throat> so. Eventually, I ended up in a position working for, um, at the time, Major General H.R. McMaster. And this was in 2012 going into 2013 at the uh, Maneuver Center of Excellence. And he had the exact same vision. He wanted to create um, uh, the, it was called the Maneuver Leader Self-Study Program. There were 20 topics. And it was a website people could go to and learn about a topic, learn about why it's important, what uh, what the topic was about, you know, and just different resources for the topic and have discussions. And so um, we started building the content for that, and it was amazing. Like uh, it, you know, at the time I was writing like three page white papers on each of these topics a week, and it was the most I had ever written. <laughs> Um, and so I started getting to this rhythm, this rhythm, this habit of writing, and and we were relying on all sorts of experts like Dr. Nadia Shadlow, uh, Max Boot. I mean, there's just a number of them that were helping out with this project. And um, but the problem was like the army bureaucracy of <laughs> setting up a website where everybody could come learn. Like you would have thought that we were asking to build a new tank in three months. Um, <laughs> Yeah. There, there I were, can't imagine. You know, there was, yeah, there, there was like OPSEC problems. There was, uh, you know, just like they were like, oh, we have a place we can host it. And they showed it to me and it was like Blackboard point <laughs> version point five. And by now, like colleges and universities were on like version 10, version 15. And so it was just it was crazy. and It was so frustrating. And so um, shortly after that, I was like, I could probably do something way better and and it'd be way easier if I did it on my own. So, uh, and, and originally the, you know, from the green notebook was just my blog. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a platform like it is now. It was just me posting stuff, um, to the website. So that was kind of, so it was, it was born out of frustration of, uh, of army bureaucracy. Cause you know, like 10 years ago, if you wanted to learn about leadership, like you had to go outside the army to do so because, mm-hmm all of our journals and everything else, you'd have the occasional leadership article, but the majority of them are how to clear a room, how to PMCS a tank, how to run a gunnery, but like yeah. nothing about 
how to lead other people. Did it start out as from the green notebook? No, man, it was actually, um, I'll, there's like really quick stories, really embarrassing actually. Uh, just cause I can't believe I did this, but, um, I had just read a book by Charles Edward White called An Enlightened Soldier, or sorry, The Enlightened Soldier. And it was about a guy named Gerhard Scharnhorst, who uh, in the late, in the early 18, late 1700s, early 1800s, became this mentor uh, to young officers in the Prussian army. And he started this community of people that would come debate articles, write articles, um, go through like tabletop exercises together. And, um, and you know, he, he, there was even like a student in one of his courses who was just struggling and he's like, Hey man, like you've got to stick with it. Like you've got something to add to the profession. And that was Carl von Clausewitz. And so you had this figure kind of lurking in the background of the Prussian military who was shaping, um, all these officers and, and Prussian chiefs of staff after they started rebuilding the army. Um, you know, unified Germany, all that were all students of Scharnhorst. So I was really uh, inspired by this guy, this single individual who, uh, you know, influenced all these leaders in the Prussian military uh, to, to make them more thoughtful and, uh, and more deliberate in their leadership. And so I called the website An Enlightened Soldier and wrote under that nom de guerre and, uh, and, but like, I would have to explain this story anytime anybody asked me what the name of my blog was. And, uh, it was, it was embarrassing. And I didn't want like people outside my small group of friends knowing that I was writing, you know, blogging on this website. Um, and so, so yeah. So then eventually I was like, if this thing continues to grow at the rate it's growing, I've got to call it something completely different. Otherwise I'm going to be completely laughed off the internet. <laughs> So, so people could go on this original site and not know that it's Joe Byerly? Right. Yeah. Like it was, I'd say for the first seven, eight months, I generated oh, wow. probably like 30, 40 articles and like, you know, and then, but the other part of it was, is you would sit there and you would watch this unnamed person getting all these accolades online for these thoughtful pieces. So a little bit of it was ego, um, being like, I, I want to be recognized too, but no, I, I, I had, I had like great friends, um, who were also in the blogging community that were, you know, stationed different places. You know, they really encouraged me to quit being a wuss and, uh, and put my name next to the things I was writing. And so I'm, I'm very appreciative of them. What, what do you, th were you hesitant to put your name behind things or like, was there, was there a kind of a fear there? Yeah, yeah. And this is something, Cal, you and I have talked about before. You know, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to share these, like, lessons I learned? You know, who am I to 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 share ideas with, with other people? Um, you know, and, and, and also, I'm, I'm still in the combat arms community. And at the time, like, it was not um, a norm for leaders to write. Uh, if anything, like, it started separating you from the pack. Uh, pretty quickly, um, if you were if you were a writer or seen as an intellectual, and so that's something that I was really scared about, and so it took me a while to kind of get over that get over that fear. Yeah, because now that's probably viewed more positively. So you're you're saying like separated from the pack in the negative way. Yeah, 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 like totally. Like, um, I mean, I remember one job where someone like I started, and someone was like, "Hey, Clausewitz," 
you know, or his Shakespeare, you know, and I'm like, wait, hold on. And so like, it was a little bit of that, but what was really, what's been really amazing is like, I, I haven't gone to a functional area um, and, and nothing against functional areas, but I've stayed in combat arms because this is what I wanted to do in the army. And so I think I've been able to, through example, show other leaders coming up that you can do this and you can be effective at your jobs. And so, you know, there, there's a whole younger group of, of officers coming up that are in combat arms branches that are running their own websites, um, you know, running podcasts and stuff like that, that are just making an awesome difference, but showing people that you can be both. Uh, you can be intellectual, you can be thoughtful, and you can be action-oriented, uh, you know, be, be in a combat branch of arms. What have been, what has been the uh, reception from people within the military? Do you find that most people are supportive of this, or do you, do you find that you also have a lot of uh, detractors or, or people that uh, don't understand maybe why you're doing this or, or how you could do something uh, on the side when you're also active duty military? Yeah, yeah. I think um, a lot of times I have to explain, especially to people like you, Cal, lawyers. Um, the, uh, <laughs> Those lawyers, no, but, but Yeah. yeah uh, no, but seriously, like I, I feel like um, – you know, at first, I, I felt like there was a little bit of negative, uh, um, a little bit of like a, a negative viewpoint on, on what I was doing, and a lot of people were questioning it. Um, and, you know, I, I had a, a boss early on who was very negative. He said, you know, my first day of the job was like, I don't want to hear about what you're reading, what you're writing. I just want you to do your damn job. And, um, and so for 16, 17 months in that assignment, I did not talk about, I did not speak about. Um, it was like, you know, it was something I was moonlighting doing. Did he, was, uh, did he know that you were doing this because of something you said, or did he just kind of knew, okay, Joe oh, Byerly. Yeah. From yeah. 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 By the time, by the time I started showing up to units as a major, like it was, it, everybody knew. Um, so, so there was no hiding it, but I also had a lot of leaders who embraced it. Like, um, you know, just a couple I can think of, like Colonel uh, Dave Hodney, who's now, now Major General Dave Hodney. Him and I wrote some articles together, uh, even, um, you know, published some stuff that he wrote um, on the blog. Uh, Colonel Kurt Taylor and I, or General Taylor and I, uh, we wrote a, a white paper together uh, about reconnaissance. And then once I got into the special operations community, like, uh, those guys embraced the the skill of writing uh, very quickly, and I found myself writing way more, um, you know, my day job than I ever thought I would be. But I, I mean, I I think one of the things that I had to learn early on, Cal, was that you cannot, um, you cannot not do something because you're worried about what other people are going to say about you or what they're going to think about it. Like you have to do things for you, and so. For me, like as I got to learn more about who I am and what I value and what gives me energy, like it, it's writing, it's sharing ideas with, with other people. And so for me to not do that because it's it's frowned upon by some people, um, you know, I, I think that's a that's a, a terrible way to live. Um, you know, life is is being scared of 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 that because you know it's it's something that I've learned is that we're not going to. Uh, we're, we're not going to have a hundred, you know, hundred percent fans like, you know, your podcast, like, 
you're not going to have 100% of the people love it. You know, like you're going to have people who, uh, you know, appreciate what you do and you're going to have people who don't. And there's a there's a great quote by Nassim Talib that I love in his book, uh, Anti-Fragile. And that's, um, if you can't trust the credibility of a ruler and you use that ruler to measure the table, you're also using that table to measure the ruler. And so, um, you know, people who, like, for example, that commander who was like, I don't want to hear anything about you reading and writing. That told me more about what he thinks about um, reading and writing uh, for officers more than about how I was approaching that. Yeah, I think it's refreshing to see people like you who I think kind of have a an entrepreneur spirit inside of you, kind of an innovative, think outside the box type of mentality, which you could have easily gone outside of the military and done this but you chose to stay in and serve and in your free time, which I'm sure you don't have a lot of, you spend writing and you spend learning and reading and sharing that. So I, I think it's, to me, it's neat to see, because we already talked a little bit about the struggles with the army of, I mean, trying to put a website together, right? Like there's all these uh, challenges to innovation and to actually creating something new. And so I think it's nice to have people with that mindset within the organization and um, I, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about, I think, what you've gotten out of from the Green Notebook and that process and some of your own disciplines. But I'm curious, from someone that maybe doesn't know anything about from the Green Notebook, tell us real quick what that is. And then we'll get into some other, um, just some key aspects to your personal growth strategies. Yeah, you know, the one thing that people and are, you know, soldiers and militaries all around the world have in common is there some sort of issue notebook? And in the United States Army, and I think some of the other services as well, it's, it's, a, it's a green notebook. Matter of fact, it is the same in the other services. And so it's kind of the one place that everybody has has recorded their lessons learned, their thoughts, their list, all this, this mental activity that goes on in their heads have been recorded on the sheets of these paper, uh, sheets of these notebooks. And so the website is a place for people to come and share their ideas, their hard-earned lessons with, uh, with other leaders. So that's essentially what, uh, you know, kind of like what our mission is at, uh, at From the Green Notebook is, is to share ideas, but to also help leaders who, you know, writing is extremely scary, Cal, especially when you first start doing it. Because the one thing you don't want to do is sound like a complete idiot when you write something. So, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about our, our editorial team is that they make sure that people don't sound like idiots. Um, so like they're, they're very deliberate and very thoughtful in their edits to help people get their, get their stories, get their, uh, their lessons out onto the blog. And how often are y'all pumping out a new article? So, um, it, so the, the way the, the blog works is actually, it, it's great. So there's, uh, there's Dan Vijan. He's a, uh, he's a captain currently up at, uh, at West Point. Um, he just came out of company command last year just graduated columbia this past week and is going to work in the simon center up there mm. and he leads a team of editors and they publish about two articles a week and oh, wow. i had so much trust in dan and the team's ability that i see articles the same time you do oh, really? um and That's so great. yeah so i don't even i don't even know anymore like when articles are coming out and um the, the one thing that we do have is if uh you know, Dan has a question about something that somebody's submitting something that's kind of questionable. 
he'll uh, he'll run it past me. But other than that, like uh, you know, he's he is, he and his team are the the power horses uh, behind the website right now. So where do you, where do you put most of your energy when it comes to from the green to hook at this point? So right now, uh, it's in three three different areas. One is the podcast. Um, as you know, podcasting is uh, it, it's a substantial effort, um, especially if, if you want to do it right, like you mm-hmm. do. Um, two is the monthly reading list email that I put out, um, which is uh, three to five book recommendations every month. And then the third is the uh, is the Sunday email, which is a weekly reflection email, which was like I'll take a a, a book quote or a quote from somewhere. And then speak to like kind of like the inner game, um, not necessarily those those outer leadership skills, but more thoughtful pieces to drive reflection. And that's a really short, uh, anywhere from like two to four hundred word email that goes out every Sunday. And uh, and so so that's where most of my focus is. And then you know Dan and I will talk about once a week or so. Uh, nothing scheduled. I'm not a really good uh, systems person. So uh, I'm all over the place when it comes to that. That's why Dan's running the blog. But uh, we'll talk about once a week and kind of bounce ideas for you know maybe bigger projects. Like we just redesigned the website in the last uh, two weeks, and and that was Dan screaming for the last four months. That, you know, so we can't keep adding content to this crappy site you built <laughs> ten years ago. I just saw it when I was prepping for this. It looks great, man. Um, looks fresh. I, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. I want to ask you about your why, because I, I heard an interview you did where you talked about uh, a process that you went through with General Steve Marks, Brigadier General Steve Marks, to discover your why. Tell us about that process. Yeah, so, so this actually ended up happening two different times. Um, first time was at Naval War College. I was a major there, and he was a lieutenant colonel about to pin on colonel going through. And, uh, you know, he and another, uh, another leader kind of pulled together all of the uh, majors, uh, army majors, and, and were, you know, served as like mentors for us for that, for that year that we were there. And one of the things that he encouraged us to do was uh, to take a course that was offered free at the time for military. I'm not sure if it is any, any, anymore, but by Simon Sinek called Find Your Why. So he encouraged you to go take this. It was like, I think it was like $10 or something. It was super cheap compared to what he was charging. And, um, and then go over the results with a friend to kind of, kind of talk through that together, like an accountability partner. And then we would kind of sit down and, and talk with them about it. And one of the things that the exercise did was it had you go through all your, your high moments in your life. Just think back to everything pre-military and you know, since you've been in your professional life. And do the same thing on the low moments and, and kind of see like what the difference was. And, and when I went through this exercise, I found that the difference was, was in leadership. So for the, for the high moments, it was when a leader had invested in me or I had done something as a leader that I was extremely proud of. And my low moments were when a leader failed me. Um, you know, either like a coach when I was uh, when I was coming up as a as a kid or a, or a teacher, uh, you know, did something that you know teacher coach like shouldn't say to a to a young person, or you know, coming in the military, uh, same thing like a way I was treated by a supervisor. You know, that, that was another low moment I written down. And when I realized when I looked across all of them, the the single the single theme 
thread that ran through all of that was leadership. And so I wanted to focus on like leading myself to make myself a better leader, but I also wanted to help others too. Like I didn't want, you know, if I had an opportunity, which I guess this is maybe some arrogance in there, but to help other people lead with the best version of themselves so that that next generation wouldn't have to suffer the same things I have, then that's, that was my why. So my why ended up being to help others lead with the best version of themselves. That became like my purpose. And as soon as I came up with that, I realized that I could do that, Cal, regardless of whether I was in the military, whether I was in a command position or a staff billet. Um, it, it didn't matter. Like I could do that. Like that was where my identity was at more so than being, you know, an armor officer, an army officer, um, you know, all, all those things that kind of come along with those identities that when they get taken away from you, when you don't get promoted, when you don't get the OER, when the army says it's time to hang up, that I'll still be able to hold on to and, uh, and take with me. So that was, that was like the first time. And then the second time I ended up working for him, like, uh, like three, four years later. Um, and, uh, for our initial counseling, what he did was he had gave us a deck of 52 value cards and he had us go through and we had to whittle it down to our top five values. And we had to write our values down. We had to write our three to five year and five to 10 year goals down. And then we had to sit down with them and kind of talk through it. And then at the end of that, again, we would come up with our why statement. So he was very intentional, very deliberate on knowing your purpose um, whenever you embark on anything. Well, I'm curious about that values process. Do you recall how you were able to narrow those down? I know it may probably has been a while, but I'm just curious, like, going from 50 something values to five, do you, do you recall how you were able to, to narrow well, those? The, the first thing was like the values that, you know, the, the easy part was the values. I was like, nope, nope, nope. Like those were the, the easy ones. But I yeah. think it got down to about like 20, 25 that were, uh, that were values that I was like, oh man, like now it's starting to get hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I just kept like chipping away at it. And then finally I, I settled on, I settled on five and like I, I wrote them down and I, I think I still have them, um, you know, right, right here. And uh, as, I, as I look at it, like, I really don't think that, uh, that they've changed too much. Um, and, yeah. Uh, Would you be willing to share? Yeah. Yeah. So like, and we can, we uh, can edit this out too, if you're not comfortable. I, I was just curious. I'd love to hear them if you're, if you're open. Yeah. So, so like, I'll say this too, is I haven't been true. So like when I haven't been true to these values, you know, something has happened in my life to which brought me back to them again. And so like one was uh, family, I always place my family above my professional career and continue to deliberately invest in my relationship with them and their growth. And so when I, there was a period of time where I got away from that and, you know, like, and it, it hurt, like it hurt me internally because I was no longer acting in accord with my values. And so I, you know, once I, once I pulled myself back in, uh, I found that, you know, my, my integrated life was way better learning, continue to seek opportunities to learn new skills and knowledge so that I can transfer what I learned to others. Leadership, seek opportunities to develop my leadership abilities, use that leadership to accomplish the organization's mission and develop those around me. Legacy, 
I want my career and sacrifices to mean something. I want to leave a positive legacy through my subordinates and my writings, and I also want to show others that they can too. And then my final one is ever forward. I want to continue to seek opportunities to develop myself through experiences and look at every failure, misstep, and bad day as a chance to learn and improve. And so mm-hmm. those were the five values that I ended up settling on. Wow. I love those. Uh, I, so I, I can totally relate to the first one you mentioned of family and just how that can be your value. And there's probably a lot of listeners right now who are like, yeah, family's definitely one of my v- top values. But if you look at my life, there's not always alignment there between my my schedule, my actions, and and that being a high value. What was that? What was that moment for you? What what did that look like when you felt like there was a maybe a misalignment between that value and, and your life? Yeah, no, I think there was a there was a period of time where um, several years, uh, a couple of years ago, where like I realized that I wanted to uh, I wanted to go off and, you know, basically go live abroad, go, you know, continue to serve overseas um, and, uh, and do it alone. Um, and so, you know, there was, a, you know, I think it was, it was a bunch of small cracks in, in my marriage that, uh, you know, all of a sudden just fractured open. And, uh, and then my wife and I, like, decided to give it, like, one more go. We went into counseling and, uh, and started working back to that value. And, uh, you know, and then once I got back there, I realized that, Hey, like, yeah, things are a lot more integrated now, uh, with me than they were before. Yeah, man. That's so, thanks for sharing that, Joe. That's, that's very honest and and vulnerable and relatable. I mean, I, I can tell you like my wife and I have been to counseling, uh, when things are, you know, not the best, which, you know, I think is part of every marriage. (laughs) Um, and we've gone to counseling when things are good, you know? So I think I'm glad that as a society, I think we're getting more and more comfortable talking about how, how valuable counseling can be during any season uh, of life. Um, so thanks for sharing yeah, that, man. I, no, no. Like I, I just, I remember coming up and it seemed like the military leaders that I worked for, like were perfect, um, <laughs> coming up, like they had perfect lives. You know, and even now, like you, um, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but if you go on social media, everybody's life oh, looks yeah. absolutely yeah. perfect. And so totally. if you're not careful, you start comparing mm-hmm. yourself against these very perfect people who are not perfect people, yeah. but you don't know that. So you start comparing yourself and then you start going down this, uh, this, this track of like, well, maybe there's something better out there instead of working you know, working on yourself and working on your marriage. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable about sharing that because, uh, like I, I want, just like you said, like I, I want people coming up behind me to know that like, it's okay to go do that. Like, it's not something that, uh, that you should, you know, ha- there should be a stigma against or like, you should yeah. feel like your career is going to suffer because of it. If anything, um, a, like you should have time to be able to do those things and then be like, as leaders, we should stay out of your business, um, you know, to, to allow you to do that and allow you and your spouse to work through those things. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think Joe, I mean, a lot of people look at you, you're the, you're the guy who founded from the green notebook, which is, is huge in military circles and, and beyond. And so for you to be willing to 
to share that and be real. Uh, one of the, my favorite podcasts, Craig Rochelle, he always talks about how, you know, we would, lo- we would much rather follow a leader who's real than someone who thinks that they're always right. Uh, so, or someone who portrays that they're always right. Uh, so I, I appreciate that, man. I think that's human. And I think that, uh, I think that that's, we need more of that because just to your point, uh, leaders, it's easy to look at our exterior lives and think everything's just perfect all the time. Um, and like anything in life, it requires maintenance. Like that's, to me, that's the thing about a marriage. If you, if you wait till things are falling apart, <laughs> you know, sometimes at that point it's, it's way harder than if you just do the, do the regular maintenance over time and, and don't let things build up. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk to, so let's let's get into kind of you, Joe, and, I, and you've already shared some of that, but I want to I want to really dive into some of your habits and routines because you you do a lot of reading, and you're known for that. You do a lot of reflecting, you do a lot of writing, and so I want to dig into how you're one. Tell us what are some things in a typical week for you that help you create space to do those things because you know there are a lot of people out there that want to read want to write want to reflect but you know the urgent takes over our week so what does that look like for you what are some specific habits that you have adopted in your schedule that allow you to do that so i'm in the middle of a pcs right now cal so my schedule is (laughs) i feel you brother i feel you but (laughs) yeah but but before that i will go uh i'll talk about Um, you know, being in a job where you're there at six o'clock, you know, before six o'clock in the morning. So, um, when, uh, I, I just left a a job in the 82nd and, you know, I had to be at work prior to six o'clock every morning for a morning stand up with my boss. And so, um, I had to leave the house at five in order to, to get there in time to get through the gates. And what, uh, I tried like just waking up, rolling out of bed and going to do that. But I found that I was off center, just going in to start my day. So I started waking up even earlier, like 4 or 15, and just sitting down and reading for like 20, 30 minutes. And then leaving after that was made all the difference in the world or, or spending a little bit of time, uh, you know, just doing a little bit of writing before work. And then uh, when I get home in the, uh, in the evenings, like – Normal home routine, normal home routine of eating dinner, um, you know, putting the kids down and all that. But like before I go up to bed, I'll spend about 20, 30 minutes doing my daily journal, which I found has is, is been huge. Uh, you know, because you were talking a few minutes ago about how we say we have these values, but our actions don't reflect it. One of the best ways I've found to monitor yourself is to journal every day. And that's not necessarily like some deep thoughtful stuff. Occasionally I'll have that, but a lot of it's just, Hey, here's something I'm struggling with. Here's the things I did today. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of what I do daily for that, for that habit. And then audio books too are, uh, are a great opportunity to use that drive into work to, to listen to those as well. Do you typically have more than one book going at once or do you focus on one book at a time? Yeah, no, I have to, man. I think I have ADHD. I don't know that it's been diagnosed, but I can't, I can't just like stick with a, a single book. So I'll read four to five books at one time. And uh, like, for example, I'm reading a book that's very academic right now. It's about war. 
And uh, I can only make it like three or four pages to where my brain starts hurting. So <laughs> I'll put that down. Then I'll pick up um, like The Earned Life by Marshall Goldsmith. Start reading through that a little bit. <clears throat> I'll start reading uh, The School of Life by Alain Dabaton. I'll read that one for a little bit. And then I'll switch over to Cassie Holmes, Dr. Cassie Holmes, who has a book coming out in September called The Happier Time, which is about the investment of, uh, of time in our daily lives leading to happiness. So that's really what my kind of like what, what my reading habit looks like is a second I start finding myself droning or going somewhere else uh, mentally, I will just put the book down and switch to another book. And that way I'm constantly going through books like that, that military book I was telling you about, like I've been reading it for a month and a half right now, um, just because I'm only hitting like so many pages at a time, whereas some of these other books I'll finish in like four to five days. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had like a specific book goal per month or week. Or well, it's you, funny. Like, um, yeah. I got this. I got this idea from uh, from Edison, uh, Thomas Edison. So he would announce an invention like in the nascent stages of it to the press, and then it like forced him to have to like follow through with it. And so for me, that monthly reading list email that I produce that has three to five books a month, I have to read three to five books a month in order to, uh, to be able to, like, to fill that out. And so uh, that's been a great forcing function. So I encourage you, if you need a forcing function, just start a mailing list of book recommendations and that's <laughs> just do that yeah no big deal yeah it works it works it's fine it's fine <laughs> um but yeah so that's kind of that's what i'll uh that's what i do but i i'll use good i use goodreads i don't know mm -hmm. if you use that at all cal yeah um it, it's an app for tracking your reading and every january i'll ask you to set a reading goal i just arbitrarily put uh 40 books down a year and uh and then just see what happens at the end of it yeah, and it seems to me, just hearing you talk through your your habits, it seems like you your habits, if you are doing that consistently over time, you've read a lot of books. I mean, if you read four or five pages of a book, and if you do it every day, come the end of the year, you've read a lot of books. Um, it's when you yeah, yeah, it, it it adds up. It has a it obviously it has a cumulative effect to it, and also too, there's a, another piece of that. You know, I I recently had, was on a no notice deployment overseas. And so my schedule got turned upside down to where my time wasn't my own. So I no longer had that you know, 15, 20 minutes in the morning to sit there and do something. Like I no longer have a little bit of time right before bed. Um, I'm working deployment hours. And for those who've done that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And so one of the things that I found, and I didn't know what it was called at the time. Somebody cued me in on it afterwards, but it's called Time Confetti. And it's those little taking advantage of those little slivers of time throughout the day um, that eventually add up. And so, like if I was on a twenty-minute helicopter ride uh, to another location, I was reading a book. If I was in between meetings and I had like five, ten minutes where there was nothing requiring my attention, I would just read for a few minutes. And that time added up. And so uh, now, like when I'm like standing in a line. And at the grocery store and the person in front of me pulls out a bag of like 2000 pennies and starts counting them <laughs> one by one when I'm trying to get out of there instead of like getting extremely angry, which is something I would do in the past. 
uh, I will just pull out my Kindle app and, and just start reading in line to, to pass the time. And that's just on your phone. You can just pull that up, Kindle app. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and you know, something about that too that I used to do, um, I, I don't know if you do the same, Cal, but like if I was standing in line somewhere or just droning, whatever, I would pick it up and start you know, scrolling through Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever the app is, TikTok. And, uh, and we, we waste so much time doing that throughout the day. And so these little slivers of time we could be used towards, I mean, you can still, I still do those things, but I'm now more inclined to use that time confetti to, uh, to, to work my way through a book throughout the day. Yeah. I just want to highlight a couple of things you said. I love that idea of time confetti. And I think it seems to me that because you've already made the decision of how you're going to spend that time you're able to use it so much more effectively. If you, if you had it, if you didn't have a plan for how you were gonna use those five, 10, 15 minute little windows, then it would be easy to just default to whatever you felt like doing at that moment. So I, I think that's really insightful. And then going back to, we kind of joked about the email list. Even if you don't create an email list, you can create some way to teach or share and, and create a forcing function. Uh, as I reflect on my reading, uh, when I started this podcast, my first 20 plus episodes, I was sharing original ideas that I was trying to synthesize and, and bring ideas from books. And I was reading a lot more when I was doing that. And now that I've kind of shifted to a pure uh, interview style podcast, I, I definitely read the books before guests come on, but I'm finding that I'm not doing as much reading. I still do audio books and podcasts on my commute, but that forcing function really helped me uh, get through more books because that's, that's one of my values. That's one of my goals, but it's, it's just easy to default to all the other things. They just kind of swallow that, that free space. Um, so I just, I, I think I just want to make that point that even if you're not creating an email list, you can, you can probably create some other way to teach or capture or share what you're learning that makes you feel some sense of urgency to, to do something that you really deeply want to do but you just find that it's hard to do yeah and i want to like go back a little bit like when i heard you say that it sounded so calm like yeah like you had something you wanted to do and so this is what no i was completely stressed out cal like i was like <laughs> freaking out like how the hell am i going to produce an email list when i'm over here doing this thing like this isn't going to work I'm gonna to have to figure out a, made, a way to make this work. So it was way more mm. uh, anxious, uh, high anxiety. I mean, like it was it was not as cool, calm, collected as you made it sound. So thank you, Cal, for making it sound like that. Um, but, but the other other piece of it too is is a social component. Um, so like Goodreads, we talked about Goodreads a few minutes ago. Uh, there's a, a function on there where you can say start reading. And so every time I uh, start reading a book, so every time I go, I would go on there. I would see a book like this is what you're currently reading. And I'm like, man, I, I've got to I've got to get through this book. It's it's been up here for like a, a month or two. I just need to close this one out. So like that's one. The other one is is my friend, my new friend, uh, Padma Warrior. Uh, she is the CEO of a company called Fable. She was the chief technology officer at uh, at Motorola, and uh, she started this this company called Fable. It's a online book club. And, uh, but like the book clubs are moderated by like LeVar Burton, um, the CEO of Microsoft, like famous authors, famous artists. And, uh, 
And so like you can join a book club and there's milestones and you can even start your own on there too. So going back to if, hey, this is something I want to get into, you could get a group of people together around a book and go through one of uh, Fable's like free groups and work your way without Fable kind of helping direct you on that timeline. That's great. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, the community accountability. And I'll put links to Fable in the show notes of this episode. Um, I, I had not heard about that. That's that's really cool. Um, well, I want to ask you, so uh, I want to ask you about just the, the process you have for capturing. So we talked about reading. Um, do you have a specific way as you're reading these books uh, to capture some of these lessons that you're learning, these kind of key takeaways? Because I I find kind of the background of the question. I find I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read books, I have conversations, um, but I still have yet to figure out like how do I effectively capture uh, these things that I'm learning, and then how do I effectively capture my own reflections so that they're in a form that can that I can use them effectively moving forward. Yeah. So first of all, there's there's like a problem that we all have. It's it's wired in our brain. It's called the forgetting curve. And what people have found, what researchers have found that within 24 to 48 hours after you read something, you've forgotten 75% of it. Mm. And so like you're already going into a book with, uh, with the odds stacked against you that you're going to remember you know, anything. And I think like a week or two later, it's up to 90%. So you're already going to forget that last book that you read. So there's, there's got to be ways that we, we kind of short circuit that so that we can. And, and one's called... Uh, one is one is a uh, is by highlighting, taking margin notes, and and by doing that in a book, which is this is what I do, uh, it creates multi sensory pathways in the brain. So like like the fact that your hands now moving, that your brain's putting cognitive effort into like reading and highlighting, or like you know you're like oh man, like this makes me think of that, and you write it in the margins of your book, or this is something I want to explore more, whatever. You're writing that down like you're creating a more connection. It's almost like you're starting to etch that in your brain. And then the second thing is uh, is one. So that's that's one thing is I highlight and I take margin notes. The second thing that I do is I transfer some of the more impactful passages and, and quotes into um, these three by five notebooks that I carry around with me um, everywhere, kind of like a lunatic. But uh, but they, but it, that's called the generating effect. And by you generating the words onto the pages of a piece of paper in handwritten form, you're actually uh, increasing that your chance of remembering that by up to fifty percent um, when, when you do that. And so that's what I found is is that I'm constantly going back through my notebooks and I'm making connections. And that's you know it's actually something I learned from Leonardo da Vinci. When he, uh, in his like famous notebooks, paper was so hard to come by that you used every inch of the paper to write things down or to draw things. And so if you look back at his notebooks, he would have like grocery list next to a sketch of the Mona Lisa, um, like early on next to some scientific observation of like a tulip. And so by, by doing that, he was actually able to make connections across disciplines and create uh, create things that, that were unheard of, um, but before before that, and so I was like, okay, so now I use a single notebook for grocery list, to do list, uh, you know, the passages I have in books, or like just the random nuggets I, I think about throughout the day, 
and I put them all there. And I've found that in doing that, I'm able to connect things that, you know, you, you think were are unrelated, but actually come together. Yeah, I think that is becoming a really special skill to have to be able to effectively curate and synthesize. I think a lot of us are suffering from uh, over stimulus. We we just there's so many inputs. You know, that were you know, podcasts are great, books are great. Uh, you know, social media can be good, but it's like too much to for the brain to curate and to process. So I think that's a um, what type of notebook? You said three by five. What I yeah, know that's so, kind of a silly question or specific question, but what what is that? Where do you get those, and how do you keep those on your person? Yeah, so um, you know, like I started out with a green notebook. Yeah, I was gonna. Um, I was hope, as, hoping you'd say that. Yeah. Yeah, as you know, that that notebook is like five by eight. It doesn't yeah. fit in a in a pants pocket, and you really look like a tool bag, Cal, if you're walking around in civilian clothes. Unless you're Joe Byerly, then people are like, no, "Oh man, yeah, he actually yeah, does yeah. carry on and a green like, notebook." <laughs> yeah, it's like totally nerdy. That's like I'm, that's like making you like the like the Elton John glasses of uh, of military leaders, like green notebook. But anyway, so I, I don't I don't carry it around. Um, I have a three by five uh, softback moleskin notebook. Um, and, and that fits perfectly in the, like a jean pocket. Um, like most of my pants, like my wife's like, why are you carrying a notebook with you? <laughs> um, so, so that's kind of, that, that's what I do. And it's really interesting. So like one of the things that I keyed in on are the number of people throughout history who've kept these, what they're called like commonplace notebooks where they just wrote random things down. And, and if I could say that like the one thing that helps with my, productivity when it comes to writing it's these notebooks um it's it's taking the time to write stuff in there and it may not click right away like it the things that i love the most are when uh an idea that i wrote down like three four years ago in one of my notebooks like something happens today where i'm like oh wait a minute i could connect this with this other thing and then i go back and start finding it. i'm like oh here we go and then i i mesh it together for a uh, for a blog post or an email I love that. And, and is that the same notebook that you use to journal at night? Uh, no. So I use, I, I, so I started out, um, when I, to get into the habit of journaling, I was using the daily stoic journal, which, um, it, the, what it was, was, uh, you know, there's like R Ryan holiday and, uh, Steve Hanselman produced it. And it's a, uh, it's a notebook 365 days a year. There's two questions a day. And then the notebooks kind of themed out in different aspects of the philosophy of stoicism. Well, I started out answering those questions, but then I realized like, mm, that's not, that's not what I want to do. I kind of want to recount my day. So then I quit answering the questions and just started writing in at the end of the day, like what had happened for that day. And so now I use a, uh, a another notebook. It's like a, it's another like five by eight notebook that I write in every day, but I formatted it myself to, uh, to capture the things that I want to capture. Are there specific questions that you ask yourself to when you journal or is it just kind of a capturing of the day? Um, yeah, it's sort of. So I have, uh, so the first thing I do is I capture, uh, how, like to, you know, this is kind of dorky Cal, so you may just want to edit this out, but, um, I capture like how many steps I, I like I move a day because oh, okay. that lets me like just kind of know how active mm -hmm. um, I was. I then uh, 
capture what time I woke up and how many hours of sleep I got. Okay. And uh, I use the whoop um, mm-hmm. whoop bracelet, so then it kind of gives me a percentage, so I can kind of see, you know, what what my percentage is at as far as recovery goes um, for that day. Then I just kind of recapture my day, just kind of what I did, some of the high points of the day, and then I write down like something I I'm, I struggled with today, something I'm grateful for, and uh, and then what I worked out. And then this is a big one I learned from uh, reading about Peter Drucker is he said that like, how do we know if we're good decision makers if we're not like assessing the quality of our decisions? Mm. And so I write down a decision I made for that day. And it's not like eat pizza or whatever, but like, (laughs) you know, hey, I I made the decision to reach out to this person Mm -hmm. um, to ask for help, whatever, you know, something along those lines. And then I can go back and look at the decisions I made and see if that was, or like, hey, like we made a decision today to purchase a car you know, whatever, like I can go back and look and see, you know, A, like, was that a good decision? And then if it wasn't, were there things surrounding that decision that day that I may have captured that, uh, that led to me making that bad decision? I love that, man. Thanks for sharing that. And that it's so cool to, to think how many notebooks you're going to have as you get older. And, uh, and at the end of your life too, I mean, what a gift to, to others, to your kids, to, to, for them to go back and be like, Oh man, Look at what dad was thinking no, about, I, you know. No, no, that's these notebooks, Cal, are definitely not for that. I will <laughs> okay. at these... some point I will I will probably have a, a giant bonfire <laughs> and uh and throw these in there. These have served uh, their purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like things in those notebooks where like if my kids read it uh oh twenty three years from now, they'd be like, either dad was super cool or like what the hell? Dad um, counted so... his steps. What a weirdo. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not doing that. But um, one of the benefits I've already found is like, and I don't know if this is you, but like sometimes you'll just get in like a really bad headspace, right? Like, mm-hmm. man, like yeah. things are super stressful. Like, how are we going to get through this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you can go back and I can like sometimes I'll do this. I will look back uh, on that same date the year before and look at what I wrote down. And it's really cool to kind of see the, the the differences between the two and you're like wow like e, like a it like makes you appreciate how much can happen in a year and b like it like whatever you're going through at the time both good and bad like it's not um you know it's not forever like it's it's always fleeting and so it's really cool just to kind of go back and see see those things and uh and, you know even the decisions like hey today i decided to start a podcast hope this works out <laughs> And then, you know, like a year later, you're like, holy crap, I'm still doing it. So, um, anyways, yeah, so yeah, that's, uh, it, it's really cool. It's for me, it's not for anybody else. That's such a great point. I had these prayer journals when I was in high school. I would kind of partly like write down prayers that I had or, or things that I was asking for, things I was struggling with. And you're right. Like you go back and you're, you think about that moment in time that you, you know, you didn't think you were going to get through that thing or you didn't think you were going to overcome it or and then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, like that was such a big deal then. And now it's just like, oh, man, of course we got through that. And it, and it gives you those reference points whenever you're going through something new. They're like, OK, I can get through this. This is not the end of the world. I, I need to keep my my head on straight. Um, I knew that we would run out of time, Joe. So I want to but I, we haven't even talked about the book. So um, my you you published a, a book. My Green Notebook, Know Thyself Before Changing Jobs. And it's really wonderful. And I just encourage anyone listening, and I'll put links to it in the show notes, 
but it's super helpful. And we've been talking about reflection and, and a process for that, but you have mapped out for people a, a very simple, usable roadmap to reflect with questions and with prompts and topics before you change jobs. And I am in the process right now of changing jobs. And I just want to tell you, this was super, super helpful. There was one quote, and before I ask you a little bit about it, uh, that you begin the book with, kind of towards the beginning, you say, uh, this is from a 2016 study that was published in the Harvard Business School. Uh, it's titled The Role of Reflection and in Individual Learning. But you talk about once an individual has accumulated additional experience with a task, the benefit of accumulating additional experience is inferior to the inferior to the benefit of deliberately articulating and codifying the experience accumulated in the past. So I think it just highlights at a certain point, if you don't stop and reflect and deliberately write stuff down and articulate it, then that additional experience is actually not even going to help you until you kind of stop and capture. So tell us a little bit, Joe, in the, in the remaining time we have, and I, I do have a couple lightning round questions at the end, but tell us about this book and kind of your, your motivation for writing it and how you're seeing people use it. Yeah. So, so the book, you know, like the, the idea was I thought back to, again, like one of the things I wrote in my green notebook, like years ago, uh, after I came out of command was when I'm a, when I'm a battalion commander and like half the stuff that I wrote, like when I'm a battalion commander, I've got to be careful about now because I'm like, man, is this even possible? But I was like, when <laughs> I'm you're a going battalion, into battalion command, just, just for yeah, context. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, when I'm a battalion commander, I want to give officers a chance to reflect when they come out of platoon leader jobs so they can capture all those lessons learned before they go into that next job. And, um, I, I was talking about it one day with a buddy and he's like, dude, if, if I think back when I was a captain, he's like, I, I don't even know like what I, would have reflected on. And so, um, you know, years since then, like I've, I've gone through a bunch of assessments, um, you know, through BCAP and through, um, you know, special operations units. And what I've found is that, you know, that there's questions that you could ask yourself when you come out of these jobs that are really capture some stuff that's probably worth digging into. So I teamed up with Cassie Crosby, Cassie and I, we, we've written together for years um, she's now, she's retired Lieutenant Colonel now. She, uh, started her own coaching company called Iterata Solutions, which if you're looking for a coach, highly recommend it. And, um, and so we came up with these questions. Cause that's the other thing too, is like, A, like, <laughs> like where would you start? But two, like we're all busy. Mm-hmm. And so like, it can't be two, it can't be a three, 400 page book. So we, Cassie and I limited it down to 30 days, yeah. which is like the time of a typical PCS window. And we said, hey, two a day, one in the morning, one at night, that's it. And, um, and, and what we wanted to do was like, have you really dig in your experiences to get below the surface level um, lessons learned you would have had at it? And like, I'll give you an example of something, right? Like I remember... Um, when I, I remember one time a battalion commander went into the talk, it wasn't set up the way he wanted and he lost his cool with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I thought about like, if I was, so there's a question in there. What was the time, when was the time that I lost my composure and why do I think I lost it? And so the idea is that if you're a introspective person or, or starting to head that way, is that that battalion commander could look back on that experience and it had nothing to do with the fact that like, you know, we, 
like like what we had done it was that his expectations were a certain way and when he walked in it did not meet his expectations hmm. and so so then i'm thinking back like now if i'm that leader and i'm starting to think more starting to go a little bit down the rabbit hole in that one question looking forward i can be like okay you know, now, like, if I have expectations of something, I can ask myself, did I communicate these expectations to everybody? Do the people that I communicate my expectations to, do they have the knowledge and the requisite skill sets to be able to create what I wanted in my expectation? And so, again, it's, it's this idea of getting people more introspective. And instead of that surface level, like, um, you know, stuff that we walk away from a lot of our assignments with. And you do that greatly. And, and I think this, honestly, Joe, I think this could be used even when you're in a job. I know that you designed it for, for changing jobs and I think it's perfect for that. But even if you're in a job right now and you're, you know, let's say a, six months into the job and you just want to capture some of your experiences at this point, I think these questions are really helpful because uh, one of the most scary transitions is to go from individual contributor to leader because you there's no, a lot of people don't have a roadmap for that. Like I'm, I'm just contributing and contributing. And now all of a sudden I've got to lead a team. How do you do that? Especially, you know, the military, I think does a good job of, of training that in advance for the most part, but there are a lot of professions that that's just not a thing. You are a, you know, you're a sales, you're business development. And then all of a sudden you're leading a team of business development people and you don't have the leadership training. So I think this is super useful, Joe. I think it's a great uh, resource. I want to ask you as we're like, Got a few minutes left. Um, quickly, because you've you've served with some incredible senior leaders in the military, and I just want to get your quick take on what stands out to you most about these leaders. And I'm going to start with General McMaster. What what about him, from your observation, makes him so special? Uh, like I'll just say, like what I took away from these people, um, not necessarily you know what other people saw. So. Um, when, when we were working on this project together, every day he would come in and be like, Hey, Hey, you read, uh, he's like, you read battle cry freedom, man. I'm like, uh, no, I haven't served. Oh, it's great. Here's why it's great. And, uh, and then I would like rush home and I would order battle cry freedom. Cause I was like, <laughs> he got really excited about it and talked about it. Like he didn't tell me to go buy these books. He was just really excited about a book. So he would come in, he would do that like a couple times a week. Um, and he was always grabbing like three to five books out of the library too on post. And so uh, during that time period, like my cart uh, on Amazon would fill up. Uh, and it was, it was kind of ridiculous, but he gave me an education uh, in warfare that I don't think I would have gotten, um, you know, anywhere else. Just by coming in every day. Hey, you read... Uh, have you read Clausewitz's on War? Uh, yeah, I saw it, read some of it, sir. But did you read the Peter Perret edition? Uh, no, so I, and then he would explain why. That's uh, that's the Michael Howard translation. Why that's so important. And so, um, so that I think that was it. Him. So he like sparked this like passion for reading professionally in me, um, and you know that I'm still like, eh, yeah. And and then and then the other piece of that too is he would say stuff all the time, Cal. And, uh, and people would be like, man, he's so intelligent. But then I was reading one of the books that he had recommended to me, and those exact same words were in the book. And I was like, 
all he's doing is repeating stuff he's reading. <laughs> and like people think he's the most intelligent man. I could do this. I could do um, this. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's – so like somebody once told me, they're like, your boss is blue-collar smart, uh, meaning that like he works at it. And so mm. uh, I was like, okay, I, I think I could be blue-collar smart too. I love that. So he's not telling you to read these books. It's just his example and his excitement makes you go – load them up on your Amazon wish list. I love that. Yeah. And I read, I read every single one that he, <laughs> he recommended. And, and then like, he was even like, yeah, man, when I remember when I was at Cody command about to go over, uh, the Berman and desert storm, I read, uh, war and peace by Tolstoy. And so I was like, okay, like <laughs> if he read Tolstoy, I can read. And I tried. And that was like the one book Cal that like I failed. Miserably. I got like six, 700 pages and just quit. <laughs> I love it, man. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Let's talk about General Scott Miller. He has become a lot more well-known, um, at least the people that I talk to. I'm hearing more and more about General General Miller. But, and you've worked with him, is my understanding. What what stands out to you most about him? So a couple couple things with him is, one, like rank rank doesn't matter. Like that's what I love about General Miller. Like it's what you bring to the fight. Like, that's what matters. And so I would watch <clears throat> colonels and people that outrank me, like, fall over themselves because he wanted to get the ground truth from a, a specialist or E5. And the other thing that I really appreciate about General Miller is his ability to communicate. And that was up, down, and uh, and laterally. Like, he, he taught me so much about communication. And, uh, like, there's no books I'm talking about. Like, all these people that I'm talking about right now like i wrote down stuff i learned from them in these notebooks and i just referenced them before this interview but um but, but one of the things that he said is 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 when we're talking about uh overhead isr uh we have a thing called blink so if you have like cloud cover or something like that if something's supposed to have persistent surveillance for 24 hours a day you're going to have you're going to have blinks where you're going to lose coverage um and so he said organizations are that same way when it comes to communication is you're going to have blinks in the organization and the communication is going to get all messed up. It's going to go sideways and then people are going to move out on things they don't even need to be moving out on. And so he says the way you get around that is you constantly communicate. Mm -hmm. And so that so every so when we were in Afghanistan together and when we were in another, another organization together, three times a week he would have these O&Is where he was putting out guidance and constantly uh, communicating um, you know, his, his intent for, for the organization. And then every single morning, there was a sit rep. It was like seven, 10 pages. It was a beast. He read it every single morning and he used his comments on that back to people as a way to direct the organization and to communicate out. And then a lot of times, uh, commanders would send up these weekly massive uh, assessments of what was going on in the area of operations from, from different theaters. And, um, and, you know, it wasn't written by them. It was written by some staff officer. And so what General Miller would do is anytime there was an inflection point, anytime there was a change in the operation, that's when he would communicate um, up higher. And so what, what this meant was that, and he did it himself. Like he asked me to help every now and then, but he, he would all constantly remind me that I have to write this myself because these are my thoughts and this is – this, I have to get this right because this is me communicating to the Secretary of Defense and to my chain, chain of command. <clears throat> and so 
he would, uh, he would send these when there was something worth communicating. So every time an email came from him to the CENTCOM commander, uh, the chairman, and to the SecDef, everybody read it. Um, because it wasn't this like crazy behemoth report that was written by someone else. So that was a, a huge lesson I learned from him. Real quick on the, you said the rank doesn't matter and you say he would go to get ground truth from a lower ranking person, like a private or a special. How would he do that? Would he just walk up to a, a specialist and ask him what's going on? Or like, how, how would he yeah, facilitate so, so, that? So in these, in these, if you think about it, like, like I'll give you an example of Afghanistan. You probably have, I, I don't even know how many people across the country uh, tuning into this VTC three days a week. And, and he did not want, like, like if he asked a question, and an E4, E5 is sitting in the room that, that had the answer to the question, but it was a, mm. a colonel or a general that was actually briefing. He would rather that E4, E5 <laughs> cue the mic and mm. give the answer than Got it. it go through an entire staffing process that took unnecessary time and energy away from an organization to send him this beautifully written white paper. But he would also do that. Um, the job he pulled me into in Afghanistan as a, as a major, was a post-06 brigade command job. Um, and again, it, it wasn't because, uh, you know, like of my rank. It was because he needed a specific skill that I brought, I brought to the team. So that's just, you know, it, these are two examples of, of him uh, focusing on uh, skill over, over rank. I love that. Last one real quick. Uh, I want to ask you about general... Chris Donahue. Uh, actually, I'm leaving the 82nd right now. I know you have worked with him at the 82nd and then also, uh, I think it, maybe at JSOC or somewhere else. Um, just real quick, what stands out to you the most about him as we wrap up? It, it, it's, his, it's his investment in culture and his investment in people. Like, um, you know, again, I've worked for some amazing leaders, but I, I would say that uh, none are at, were as altruistic as, as General Donahue. Like, he... He absolutely cares. Um, and they, they all cared in their way, but there's just something uh, about the character of, uh, of General Donahue that, that really stands out. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a father with, uh, with, with five, like, school-age kids. And so, you know, even, you know, just his example of, you know, constantly, um, you know, calling home to his wife, talking to his kids, leaving work early, not early, but like leaving work at 5 p.m. to be there for sports practices and stuff like that instead of missing those things because he was a, a division commander. And but, but going back to the culture piece, I mean, like he, he's, he focused on culture every single day. Like he recognized that it wasn't something you just you make a, a culture statement like the who we are document, staple it to the wall and that's it. He was constantly communicating that down to the lowest levels of the organization. Um, every single day, multiple times a day, and so just being just being able to watch that and see how a division commander and eventually a court commander did that was like something that I'm like, okay, if he can do that at these huge organizations, then, then I can do that with a, a seven, eight hundred man, man, uh, person battalion. That's great. And by the way, your interview with them, and I'll put links to it in this episode. So good. I mean, your interview with all these, all these generals were, were amazing. And, and by the way, go check out from the green notebook podcast. If you haven't listened to it, Joe, you do a great job uh, with the podcast and sorry to keep you over, man, real quick in the last like 30 seconds, 
tell people where they can find you, connect with you, anything else you want people to know about all the work you're doing? Yeah, so websites from the com. You can find the podcast. You can go to the blog. You can sign up for the monthly email, the Sunday email. You can do all that there. Uh, you can get links to copies of the book. And then uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn as well. You can just search my name on Twitter, jbyerly81. Uh, the blog's also on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn from the Green Notebook and Facebook. So we're uh, we're all over the place right now, man. Not too hard to find. Not too hard to find. I'll, and I'll put links to all that. Joe, thanks so much. I appreciate you, man. Good luck with your PCS. And I know we'll be talking, but I, I really appreciate you doing this today. Yeah, thank you so much, Cal. Like I've, <laughs> I've said it offline before, but I'll say it again. You're a real podcast host, um, unlike me. So I appreciate you inviting me on and, and showing me how it's done. <laughs> oh, man. I appreciate it, brother. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe. What a wonderful guy Joe is. So down to earth, such a reflective, thoughtful individual. I appreciated his vulnerability, sharing how sometimes, you know, it's been some, there's been some moments of struggle for him, even with trying to lead at home and lead at work. And I just, I encourage all of us to be real and try to be open as leaders, not in a weird way, not not going too far beyond or not going beyond the boundaries that we need to set as leaders. But I do think it's important for your people and my people to know that I'm certainly not perfect. And I think as leaders, when we accept that and we accept that we don't actually have to be perfect, it's liberating and it allows people to also feel safe. And so I appreciated that about Joe. I also just appreciated some of his specific habits for reading and for reflecting and for journaling. I thought that was that was great. I'm, I'm interested to know what you think about that. Shoot me an email at cal at calwalters.me. I also appreciated his reflections on General McMaster, General Miller, and General Donahue. Let me know what stood out to you most about this interview. If you are enjoying this episode or if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute and go review this podcast on Apple or Spotify. That really helps us continue to get great guests on this show. It also helps us grow this community and bring more leaders into this community. And I've just been amazed by how many of you have been willing to take just a few minutes to do that. I really appreciate it. And if you want to partner with us financially, if you want to help invest in Intentional Leader as we try to close the gap in leadership instruction out there for young people, especially as we try to provide content on self-leadership and help individuals take the guesswork out of self-leadership. If you want to partner with us, check out our Patreon page. Just go to intentionalleader.org. You'll be able to see the Patreon link up there. Uh, It can be a dollar, two dollars, five dollars. That really helps us cover the cost of producing this podcast. And it also helps us build to produce other content down the road. So thanks again for joining us here today. I so appreciate you. I hope you go and lead yourself well. And then also look around you and see the people around you that you might be able to influence, to help, to lift up. I appreciate you. Go and make a difference. Remember, the life is short, so let's go make it count.